0: Hey, I'm Rob Jan, and welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number one three seven nine er, entitled "Shield Be Right." Now, our podcast title is "It's a Magical Kind of Pod." And I'm the last Mando, or Jando, on board today, as co-host Agent Megan McHugh is leading a covert operation, further information about which is available only on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know, bub. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I said I was going to surveil the now-completed television series Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I kind of got lost in the wonders of The Expanse and its final season, and so today we will crank up Zephyr 1 and revisit (laughs) MAOS, all right, so many acronyms, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and now that i finally caught up with that show's final seventh season as well, I kind of got lost watching it on free-to-air television a few years ago, and I thought, well, look, I know it's going to be streamed eventually, and I'll catch up with it then. And that was then, and this is now. And okay, now that you've signed up for it and had your identification checked via retina scan, here's your briefing folder for today's SHIELD induction, and mind you hand it back to your field supervisor at the end of today's session, or else you will be prosecuted under the Fictional Secrets Act. And I don't need to remind you that our legal advisor is She-Hulk, and that you won't like her when she's litigated. Hi, this is Corey Maccabee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. And composer Bear McCreary done that, the Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. overture from the original soundtrack album of the television series, which we are... Conducting an extensive post-operation debriefing today on Zero-G, albeit in great, highly classified, ultraviolet-level eyes-only detail. right as they used to say on the man from UNCLE, Open Channel D. Now... The fictional spy agency S.H.I.E.L.D. was first created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby in Marvel Comics way back in 1965 in Strange Tales, issue number 135. Spy-fi was all the rage off the back of the very real Cold War, especially when seasoned with the tropes and themes of the Atomic and Space Ages. Movies and television shows formed a genre that ranged from the more notionally serious end of the spy section, say James Bond, Callan, Secret Agent Man, Ice Spy and The Avengers, which is to say the John Steed and Mrs. Peel, British series of course, and Mission Impossible through to the inevitable satires including the Man from Uncle, The Wild Wild West, Get Smart, and the Flint and Matt Helm movies, which were vehicles for actors James Coburn and Dean Martin, respectively. Over the years, a lot of that's been rebooted or been reinterrogated, as it were, to capture the zeitgeist of whatever eras they were dropped in. And of course, the send-ups have continued too with Austin Powers and King's Man and so on, with James Bond still shaking and stirring his way across the decades as a lethally tuxedoed through-line whose main character must surely have Time Lord blood, given the number of regenerations the character's been through. Alrighty, so, back in the 1960s, the... S.H.I.E.L.D. acronym broke down into Supreme Headquarters International Espionage and Law Enforcement Division. Now, in the modern Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's rendered as Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division. Whatever it means, S.H.I.E.L.D. has all of the spy-fire tropes. Gadgets, tricked-up cars, in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s case, flying ones jumpsuit uniforms, jetpacks, androids that can pass for humans, uh, life model decoys or duplicates, supervillain enemies and their equally evil organisations mirroring the good guys, and of course, secret bases. Now, in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s particular case, a lot of their cool technology in the 1960s was contracted out to none other than Tony Stark a.k.a. the Invincible Iron Man, including S.H.I.E.L.D.'s remarkable signature headquarters, the Airborne Helicarrier, which the aerial flagship of so many Airborne Aircraft Carrier tropes going way back to the days of Jules Verne and his novel *Robur the Conqueror. Oh, and by the way, in the movies and Marvel television shows, there's more of a multi-generational Stark family involvement as Tony's dad, Howard, was in at the genesis of S.H.I.E.L.D. during World War II and was a guiding hand in its development. Mind you, genius that Howard Stark undoubtedly was, he never twigged that S.H.I.E.L.D. was being infiltrated at all levels by HYDRA, the technological terrorist group that in the MCU had its roots in Nazi Germany but didn't fall with it in 1945. Anywho... We're talking about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here today. I'm giving you some deep background on the agency of S.H.I.E.L.D. Usually, but by no means always, Colonel Nicholas J. Fury. Nick Fury Sr. He's the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comic books. Whether the organisation is encountered in the course of crossovers in other Marvel comics, or whether it's standing alone in its own on again, off again, main title book, which it has done several times over the decades. I've got a few of those sitting on the desk here. Uh, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, is the classic Roy Thomas, Jim Steranko collection, and these came out in the 1960s. But I think this is a yes, this is a trade paperback reprint from around 2000. Oh, so psychedelic, Storenko's artwork on this one. And rich, you know, reminiscent of the incredible detail of George Perez and the more wacky, way out there, cosmic madness of Jack King Kirby, who of course was one of the creating artists originally back in the mid-1960s who helped lay down what the shield look was. Also, got uh, Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D., which was a really complicated and quite dire infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. from within. We might come back to that a little bit later because it's relevant to the Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television series. Oh, and all right, in the comic books, there have been other directors of S.H.I.E.L.D., including Maria Hill and Daisy Quake Johnson and Tony Stark himself, and yes, Stark had an Iron Man-themed helicarrier blinged out in Hot Rod Red and Gold, and there's even an alternate reality where Marvel and DC heroes crossed over and Bruce Wayne ended up director of S.H.I.E.L.D., Now, of course, Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury has appeared in lots of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, including particular focus upon his character in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and Captain Marvel as well. And he has appeared in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. So, when I talk about Nick Fury... At such length, I want you to know that a lot of the tropes that have surrounded his characters have actually been shunted over into the character of Agent Phil Coulson in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because he is the main protagonist of that series. All right, well, let's Speaking of the MCU movies with Nick Fury in them, uh, The Avengers. So let's go for another spy-fi show. But in this case, it is The British Avengers from the 1960s and 70s too. I particularly like Laurie Johnson's theme for this show. Not to be confused with the... Marvel Comics and Cinematic Universe Avengers. And this comes from the Avengers 1968 to 1969 soundtrack album. Hello, this is Wendy Padbury. I played Zoe Harriet on Doctor Who and Sue Craig on Freewheelers. You're listening to Zero G on 3 FM. Zero G? Well, I'm quite sure that doesn't add up. Mrs. Peel, We're Needed, Laurie Johnson's distinctive theme from the Avengers British TV series from the 1960s and 70s. So, from the British Avengers, and I don't mean Captain Carter's and Britain, back to the Avengers Light, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I've been talking about today here on Zero G. Just rambling through a bit of an overview and looking at the seven seasons of the little show that could. (laughs) Where were we? Right, Sam Jackson's Nick Fury is an ongoing presence in the Marvel movies and although he does most of the heavy lifting for S.H.I.E.L.D. there you certainly can't ignore Agents Romanoff, Barton, Maria Hill or Sharon Carter and her Aunt Peggy the last being one of the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D., serving with it since it grew out of the Strategic Scientific Reserve in World War II. And then there's Agent Phil Coulson, played by Clark Gregg, with contrastingly nuanced adamantium amiability. Colson was there at the beginning of the MCU, back in 2008's Iron Man, going on to appear in the first Thor movie, as well as Joss Whedon's Avengers blockbuster, where his death at the hands of Loki gave the eponymous super team something to avenge. And Later, though, actually chronologically earlier, <laughs> we saw a younger Colson teamed up with a younger Nick Fury in the Captain Marvel film investigating the infiltration of Earth by shape-shifting alien Skrulls. <laughs> Death seldom has much permanency on screen as it does in the pages of the four-colour literature that underpins the superhero genre. As Colson would later quip, "'Death is kind of my superpower.' Repaired and resurrected with the help of the Tahiti Project and Alien DNA, Colson was commissioned by Nick Fury to lead a small but nimble team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents tasked with getting ahead of the increasing number of threats to global security, identifying, classifying and dealing with them themselves or prioritising them for larger scale action. Thus, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the first live-action Marvel TV series to be notionally set in the same universe as the MCU movies. It was created by brothers Joss and Jed Whedon and Marissa... Tan Charowan and produced by the US ABC Network and Joss Whedon's Mutant Enemy Productions. And It ran from 2013 to 2020 for seven seasons, clocking up 136 episodes. Now, all seven seasons are streaming on Disney, Plus, where I recently caught up with that final season. To set it in context, Shield is one of the free Marvel shows done for ABC including the two excellent seasons of Agent Carter with Hayley Atwell and Dominic Cooper reprising their roles as Peggy Carter and Howard Stark. An even shorter series, in Humans managed to bear eight episodes before cancellation. And several other modern Marvel-related series like Cloak and Dagger, Runaways and Hellstrom have been given relatively short shifts before cancellation as well. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a, a bit of a standout there. So, pretty much a major Marvel series, all things considered, and why I'm pondering it here on Zero-G today. And, of course, because of the fact that I just enjoyed the show. Because the show was set in the MCU, but was running at the speed of a weekly television series, it danced not always adeptly around the events of these slower-to-produce movies. I always found Shield to be more than just gap filler, though, dealing with the leftovers from the big guns, as it evolved into a solid ensemble cast series with lots of interesting character development and relationships. Ah, Cluck, Greg. Agent Phil Coulson. Now, I first saw Clark Gregg, without knowing it, in a minor role in Steven Spielberg's Stanley Kubrick legacy project, AI, Artificial Intelligence. (laughs) Now, there's an irony given his latest state in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, but I first really noticed him when he did a turn as, another irony, an FBI special agent across eight episodes of the West Wing. Well, Coulson ended up being the pivot around which this series revolved. Coulson's complex style of leadership evolves or devolves, depending upon your perspective, as he hardens up over the years, and to be fair, he's seen some serious shit. He doesn't know that he died in the Avengers movie until quite way into the piece, and intriguingly, the Avengers don't know he's alive, at least it's not been acknowledged in the movies. A man of many talents and passions, we got to see into some of his background along the way, Uh, that relationship with the cellist Lola, who his flying red 1962 Chevrolet Corvette Convertible is named after. And then there's the constant low-key fandom geekery that he has. Well, not that low-key. And the memorabilia in his office. Aging shield technology and superhero ephemera, particularly manifesting his obsession with Captain America and Steve Rogers. (laughs) Yeah, I guess his ability to recite trivia got even more on point when he become an artificial intelligence himself. Well, that's a spoiler, but, you know, it's been a couple of years now and there's going to be a few things that I have to talk about in that vein. And, of course, him becoming the mentor and boss of his diverse crew while wrestling with his own ever-changing states. Clark Gregg even got to where that particular crown available to science fiction and fantasy actors of playing his own doppelganger a couple of times, once when he was Sarge, a guy from uh, an alternate universe, and also, of course, when he became an android himself. Greg ably conveyed the strangely... Steve Rogers' situation that he found himself in, in the early episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. at least, as we advanced through and found out how he managed to cope, and well not in some cases, with being that man from Tahiti, back from the grave, a science project really, the beneficiary of resurrection technology that was originally intended to be able to bring a fallen Avenger back to life, but which got used by Nick Fury upon Colson himself after his death in the Avengers movie. You can add Coulson to the ranks of the enhanced, super-powered individuals that S.H.I.E.L.D. often deals with because this is spy fi and that's their particular wrinkle in S.H.I.E.L.D. And that whole back-from-the-grave thing which eventually results in him getting a bionic hand. And, yeah, the years do whittle at the poor fellow. He eventually gets that whole android body dealing with the man-machine trope and taking it in his mechanical stride, being no longer flesh and blood. At least I thought so. But by then, I think he was so off-kilter from everything and it's just like, yeah, OK, it's Tuesday. OK, now I want to have a bit of a rummage through the footlockers of some of the other agents of shield in the series agent melinda may the cavalry as she's known played by ming na wen who of course was the voice of mulan in the disney movie she also plays assassin fennec shand in the mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett, the character of Agent May. She's much more than the arse-booting Sheila who has a glare that can strip paint. She has a lot of red in her ledger, like the Black Widow from her covert ops days. Well, and of course, she suffers from the usual Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., turbulent... Relationships. Nothing seems to go right from any of these people, at least in the early days of the series. An ex-husband, I seem to recall, called Andrew Garner, who she loses once she finds out that he's a serial killer. (laughs) So the usual difficult revelations there. What was that character's name? Oh, yeah, Lash. She was also critical in the difficult incurred once the revelation of Hydra infiltration in S.H.I.E.L.D. become known, eventually became enhanced herself when she got some empathic superpowers. Fiercely loyal to her boss and colleague, Agent Coulson, she is another one of the mainstays of the series. Two characters who are pretty much inseparable except when they are Leo Fitz and Gemma Simmons the two tech head nerds of the team played by Ian D. K. Stecker and Elizabeth Henstridge respectively but they're more than just tech support in the show Leo Fitz was an engineer and we also got to see quite a bit of his other side and you know Part of the reason why Fitz and Simmons, yes, it's Fitz-Simmons, work so well as a couple, is that their skill sets are complementary. He was more hardware-orientated and Simmons was the biological sciences expert, which meant that she got to deal with a lot of the field doctoring requirements, which S.H.I.E.L.D. definitely had a need for in its action-packed seven-year run. Speaking of... Injuries, the Fitz character, I think, got a much needed extension of his experiences in the series after the character had to deal with brain trauma incurred in the first season of the show. I think there was a lot of nuance to De Casteca's performance as Fitz. Much more than you would have expected from the beginning. And I think this is the thing about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That seven seasons really forced them to evolve the characters along the way. Sometimes quite literally when they became super-powered or not. Fitz and Williams, of course, became husband and wife later on in the show's run. And their are different ways of approaching subjects I found quite Interesting. They played more with emotions, with fits, playing against the stereotype of the more coldly logical engineer. And they instead gave that to Simmons. But of course there was plenty of warmth in the relationship and within the structure of the S.H.I.E.L.D. team generated by the two characters. And speaking of generations, they... Later, in that complicated way, ended up meeting their own descendant, Deke Shaw, played by Jeff Ward, who's uh, from a future Earth sundered by superpowers, a man out of time, eventually brought back into our own contemporary era, and a Survivor who became the front man in a rock band in the 1980s and CEO of a tech company trading off his knowledge of future technology. (laughs) A bit of a grifter, was Deke Shaw, but I thought a, a lovable sort of one. And often a character who delivered a fair bit of comic relief in the serious times that the show engaged in. Speaking of men out of time, Daniel Sousa, one of Agent... Carter's posse from that butte, two season ABC series set after World War II in the United States. Well, he ends up crossing over from that show into Agents of Shield and Ver Jokai. He played Victor in the science fiction television series Dollhouse and had a really small role in the Avengers movie as a young policeman. Pretty much a straight-down-the-line character playing from the period, but also a very complicated person in terms of having to deal with being crippled in World War II. Another character who we must mention is Grant Ward, Agent Grant Ward, Played by Brett Dalton. Now it's been a few years now, so I think I can let you in upon the fact that the big reveal for Dalton's character was that he was a Hydra agent of long standing, and this turned what seemed to be a fairly vanilla character at the end of season one into a a really dangerous individual, <laughs> whom we all learned to loathe and despise, as he did poor old Daisy. Johnson very, very wrong in the show, and later became his own superpowered villain. Well, more or less his own, because he was being possessed, sort of. A character called Hive. Now, another character of great importance to the show was Alfonso Mac Mackenzie, elevated from being the team's mechanic to a regular character, and later went on to actually become a director of SHIELD in the show. I don't think I saw Henry Simmons too much in other things before, NYPD, Blue, and so on, but I do think that his character is one of the more nuanced ones in the show. Uh, He is a man of faith, as it were, and although that doesn't sit well with me in terms of my own personal non-beliefs, I kind of respected the way they played it in the show. Character, of course, has a relationship with the other superpowered individual in the show. We'll get to those in a minute, uh, Yo Yo. And it's noticeable that as a leader, he was very reluctant to begin with because his friendships with his colleagues made it very difficult for him to order them into dangerous situations. And we also got to see his relationship with his parents, which turned out rather tragic, of course. <laughs> Nothing ever worked in the family way for anyone but Fitz and Williams in this show. Well, okay, there were some lighter moments for them, but, geez, give them a break, guys. <laughs> All right, so we kind of liked uh, Mac for his uh, stolid ability to fix pretty much anything mechanical and also for delivering the hurt when he had to. Although it's very interesting that his relationship with violence and of course they are field agents well he's a a very reluctant pain giver but there's also the fact that he would do it when he had to and he didn't want to get in his way. Uh, terrifyingly strong fellow Mac might as well have been superpowered especially in his fierce loyalty towards his friends and family and initial difficulties with Colson's leadership I remember that was a strong point at one stage during the series and then there's the way he goes off the rails after the death of his parents in season seven I think I recall and thought that gave the actor the opportunity to perform some quite interesting variations upon the standard strongman theme that he played. And of course we remember Mac for carrying that damn shotgun axe in the show, his particular personal weapon. Speaking of technology, another character in the show where, you know, this is one of those science fiction technological series when the usual elevation of hardware to become a character in itself, like, you know, a starship or a spaceship in uh, any of the space-based shows. At first in S.H.I.E.L.D. it's their own aerial fortress, the bus, and later it's replacement, the even techno-funkier Zephyr-1. As well as the Quinjets and the ISA stun pistols, they all became part of the character set for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as being literally the vehicles for a lot of the action. And speaking of tech. There's one character I just wanted to shout out to, a Chromicon, which is to say a, a an android robot played by Joel Stoffer, a character of Enoch, who you will no doubt be seeing in the season four of Stranger Things when it comes out, plays Warden Hatch, so keep out an eye out for Joel Stoffer. I thought that um, Joel as Enoch, played this android character remarkably well uh, with a a delivery that rivals any of the great outsider quite logical unemotional more or less characters in science fiction you know we're in the spock sort of region there uh, the data set of that character from next generation that kind of thing and he had this terrific delivery enoch Watch out for him in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he provides a rather strange kind of mirror to the Coulson character when he becomes an android later on in the show too. So he's already there, but accustomed to being an artificial intelligence. So interesting to see how they played all of that out. Time for a track, I think. And look, it's entirely meta and appropriate that... Clark Gregg, Agent Coulson, has his own pretty large fandom base. I mean, he's got a hot toy. What more can you say? <laughs> now, this song is by The Double Clicks, which is kind of a filk group. We can kind of call them nerd rock if you want. They have a song about Agent Coulson, and <laughs> it's called Super to me, brackets, Agent Colson, and the double clicks hail from Portland, and I mean Portland in the United States. Portland, it's a magical place. Hello darling, this is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G, on three triple R, SM. The double clicks, and from... Portland over in the US, getting their uber-geekery on there about Agent Phil Coulson, Clark Gregg from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the topic under discussion, or at least being monologued here today on Zero-G. Well, they also introduced the Deflock Cyborg, Graviton, played by... Adrian Pazdar from Heroes, remember that series? And uh, he was also the act, the character, Glenn Talbot. A lot of characters crossing over from the MCU along the way Uh, Nick Fury, Lady Sif, the Asgardian, Maria Hill. Uh, as we mentioned, Agent Sousa from the Agent Carter series. They also introduced a Ghost Rider character in here, the Robbie Reese variation, as well as um, Carl Creel, the Absorbing Man. We had Adrian Palicki playing Mockingbird, uh, who's had a lot of shots at um, superhero characters. Not all of them have panned out, but now we know her as Commander Kelly Grayson in The Orville. This is a show that also had a lot of cameo appearances more or less from some great actors we had Patton Oswalt playing the Koenigs uh, and also Edwin James Olmos from Battlestar Galactica Powers Booth John Hanna from the Mummy movies Kyle McLaughlin there you go there's a special agent all on his own and Tamara Taylor remember her from Bones As well as Bill Paxton and his son, James Paxton, playing the same character role, only, well, James plays a younger version, and quite well too. It's not quite a a caricature of his fairly famous father. And boy, they played some evil guys in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. All right, now... The two characters who I've left for last are uh, two of the Inhumans, some of the powered individuals, the Enhanced, as they call them, and they had uh, powers that were generated by the Terrigen crystal mist in the show. And they did introduce the Inhumans in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. quite, well, relatively early on, so bringing them into the Marvel television universe, at least, uh, nothing to do with that um, uh, that Inhumans TV show, not really, that um, only lasted a season, but, you know, sort of echoing that in a way. No, not that echo. <laughs> All right, so uh, Elena Yoyo Rodriguez, a Colombian superhero, um, known for her relationship with Mac, but I just mentioned that in passing. It doesn't define the character. Uh, she had her arms chopped off by a supervillain in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and replaced with high-tech prosthetics and this is one of the things that um, uh, AOS did quite well, not harming people to extremes, although they certainly did a lot of that, but in how they dealt with these things, they had consequences and it took a long time to recover from that and a while to learn how to use the prosthetics and Caused all sorts of problems as as she lost her slingshot uh, running very quickly powers and then had to undergo subsequent therapy to regain them. It was all tied into all this kind of uh, sense of loss. Yo-Yo was played by Natalia Cordova Buckley. And we have seen her, well, heard her before as... Uh, playing the voice of Frida Kahlo in the Disney Pixar musical Coco. A lot of actresses, at least, who are tapped to play superheroes in these kind of shows, uh, come from a dance background, and she had that as well from her time in Mexico where she grew up. She had a career in uh, Mexican television as well in some of the series over there. You may also know her from her turn opposite Nicole Kidman in the 2018 film Destroyer. Speaking of the enhanced, well, there's Sky, a.k.a. Daisy, Quake Johnson, and <laughs> didn't they pull her leg about that name, Quake, in the last season of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., another character who develops superpowers during the show, and an actress who has voiced that character in other scenarios within the Marvel Universe, in the Marvel Rising animated series, for that matter. Now, she starts out as a hacker, a hacktivist, in the show and you know you think that 's going to define her role and indeed it does for a while she has a, a problem with authority figures and we find out why that is as she goes along yes she has a, a tragic past with her family and we do get to meet her biological mother at one stage and also her sister as well. Uh, a lot of this occurs in the course of the main series, but it all comes to a head in the seventh season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Her powers pretty much are what it says on the tin she's able to cause earthquakes and direct the vibrations thereof, and also able to fly using the same vibratory powers channeled through her arms. But she is not unaffected by this. Superpower and has a lot of struggles with trying to develop it without actually managing to kill herself and break her own bones. Quite a fascinating character, I think. Uh, Daisy Johnson eventually becomes um, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comic books at one stage, I recall. Uh, but um, yeah, I thought that uh, Chloe Bennett played that character. Really, quite finely throughout the show, undergoing all sorts of terrible tragedies within her arc. So, okay, as an overview of the show, well, season one we got the setup, and we had to work through how did Agent Coulson manage to survive being killed by Loki? The team building involved in setting up this little splinter group of Shield, and It kind of felt a little bit vanilla for a while as they did the case of the week. But a lot of those tended to have echoes throughout the series. And then it all got flipped on its head because the start of Season 2 coincided with the movie Captain America the Winter Soldier, in which everything changed. We were shown in that movie that the agency of S.H.I.E.L.D. had been heavily infiltrated in a long-term fashion from the top down by the evil organisation Hydra. And everything turned on its head there, including at least one of the characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent Ward, becoming much more interesting as he flipped from being something of a bland spear carrier to become a lethally and horrendously manipulative and gaslighting character on the show, especially in relationship with Daisy Johnson, as well as betraying the rest of the S.H.I.E.L.D. team continuously and repeatedly. Yes, that's a spoiler, but it's been about <laughs> 10 years or so now, so we'll go there on this. When they flipped into Season 2, after having dealt with the consequences of that massive shakeup. They got into uh, the Terrigen crystals and introducing the Inhumans enhanced superpowered individuals and they were flipping off uh, the Secret Warriors comic books there and pulling in Inhuman and Hydra storylines. Season 4 gave us a Ghost Rider bringing in some supernatural context to the MCU and there's really no other way of getting around it, it's pretty much straight supernatural stuff, and so we're into the mysticism there, and they also started uh, working on their life model decoy program relationships in this one. The LMDs, the life model decoys, are basically, well, they're androids, not as sophisticated as the later Chronicoms used in later seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but these ones are basically able to substitute for humans. They're a mainstay of the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic books. They've been peripherally mentioned in the MCU movies and featured in a comic book called Nick Fury vs. S.H.I.E.L.D., a fairly hefty story arc way back in the uh, late 80s. Got a copy of it sitting here on the console, Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, by Harris, Neary, DeMulder and Jay, in which those same life model decoys take on a more sentient aspect of their own and decide that they're nobody's doppelgangers anymore and they infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D. themselves and take it over, forcing Nick Fury to have to fight them. And This is sort of paralleled in the stories in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And speaking of which, they pop over to a an alternative reality. A lot happened in Season 4 where they're in a kind of a, uh, well, I shouldn't call it an, an alternative reality because we've established that, that as a thing now in the MCU and in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a virtual reality called the Framework where we explore what if... Hydra had actually managed to complete its takeover, and what sort of world they'd be living in now, which gave, of course, many of the characters the opportunity to flip themselves and become bad guys, or in the case of some of the others, uh, good guys. <laughs> it was a complicated thing, and uh, they also ended up riffing off the events of Captain America Civil War in this as well as picking up some things that they'd laid down in Agent Carter, some storylines from that. In Season 5, they broke this show into two sections and ended up dealing with... The Cree aliens, you know, the blue aliens from the Captain Marvel movie, delving a lot into the background of those, although there's not as much connection between the series as the MCU there as there might have been. But at least they filled out the background quite a bit as we saw a future Earth that had been sundered apart by superpowers and there was a a surviving uh, part of the Earth in it a space station that basically was the lighthouse shield base, very heavily armoured base, obviously able to withstand being thrust into space by the destruction of the Earth. And it was very dystopic. And I thought, if anything, they did falter here a bit because they pretty much came in with this hard on the heels of that framework virtual reality dystopia and having one dystopia follow after another, I thought was maybe too much. But, you know, onwards into season six, we got into time travel and multiverses. So, you know, this is all presaging the sort of Loki events. So there were things introduced in here that I thought really actually inadvertently or perhaps deliberately. I don't know. I wasn't in the writer's room. uh, The events of uh, Loki and also um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse as well. And of course, of now we've got uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home, and the as well as the What If? animated series. So all of this kind of I felt had a uh, a bit of a herald in the Agents of Shield season six, even though the production of that probably coincided with some of the other multiversal excursions. Now quite common in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they never really did properly get into the Infinity War. Endgame implications upon Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And in season seven, they kind of address that in the fact that it's got a very much a, a multi timeline aspect to it. And so you could actually say that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe takes place in the later part of the show in a different timeline. You could get away with that without even blinking. Uh, that also is the season. Where we introduced the uh, the doppelganger of Agent Colson from uh, another another timeline, and had some great storylines running there as Clark Gregg got to play his evil self. <laughs> Although he had his motivation, this is a, a science fiction show, so they're quite careful to consider what the other side is uh having as a, a perspective season seven well that's the last season and each episode of that is basically well maybe one or two uh, overlap set in different eras of the 20th century the 1930s the 50s and so on it's um they even have a noir episode, uh, which I thought was particularly good, and um, an episode set uh, essentially at Area 51. So this is your classic UFO Roswell-type thing going on there, uh, to which they have great fun. And basically in Season 7, I thought they just enjoyed the hell out of it. And I thought this was a, a great way of ending the show. A lot of fun to be had In that, And as I said, because they're exploring kind of implications of the quantum realm and the multiverse, this series could have been written now instead of a couple of years ago, because it it fits right into what they're doing now, uh, even with the uh, upcoming Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness movie. We have Agent Sousa, a man out of time, (laughs) and Deke, another man out of time, both coping with it in their own way, and the entire S.H.I.E.L.D. team is also not where it should be or when it should be. We get more of Quake's backstory, uh, meet once again her mother and her sister. Enoch the robot gets this wonderful dry... story arc as he goes time-travelling the hard way by living through each decade of the 20th century, basically serving in a bar. <laughs> I thought that was great. Also, as I mentioned before, Bill Paxton's son plays a younger version of his father's Hydra character to great effect, I thought. Um, there's a wonderful moment where Agent Simmons pretends to be director Peggy Carter in the 1950s, And the Zephyr gets spotted as a flying saucer, which, of course, it would be back then. I really enjoyed the episodes in Season 7. They just cut loose from too much of the seriousness, (laughs) although the stakes, of course, were multiverse high. Um... You know, there are riffs off so much cinema and so much television. Uh, One time, the MacGuffin reminded me of the, uh, the deadly device from Kiss Me Deadly. And, you know, they're not caricaturing the eras, particularly they're leaning into trying to recreate the period. At one stage... And this is just a a non-sequitur. I saw the security armour from science fiction show Babylon 5 show up. This is how wardrobes get reused between science fiction shows. Of course, the Chronicom's uh, time-travelling android menace has been pulled in from episode... uh, Sorry, from season 6 and further used here. In fact, it's a a mainstay as the Chronicom... Leader is trying to uh, defeat S.H.I.E.L.D. everywhere and every when, and that sort of drives Season 7. And, of course, the other thing about Season 7 is that they are working towards shutting it all down so that we will have a satisfying landing for all of the characters after all of the trials and tribulations they've been through in the last seven seasons. And do they achieve that? Yes. Yes. All of the characters get some kind of satisfying, or not, resolution to their story arcs, because not all of them survive, and I thought that they managed to do that with some grace. Uh, probably more than The Expanse did, but I think they had more advance warning with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So there you go, the little show that could manage to do seven seasons. Did I enjoy it? Yeah, It's kind of a little bit, and I won't like to say that it's old-fashioned, but it's more of a traditional show. It does remind me of something that was sort of 1990s style in a lot of ways. Strong ensemble cast, lots of ins and outs. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, or you're going to find it somewhere in between, and you'll find that it was just pretty watchable. You know, a lot of people I know started watching it and thought, "Wow, oh, you know, this has gone pretty wobbly. It didn't stick to the end of the first season. Then it all changed gears. And I think it ramped up pretty well by the end of the series. Very enjoyable show, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Until next week, thank you, Megan. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. Now, Chloe Bennett's mum is Anglo-American. Her father is... Chinese. So uh, when she was a teen, she went to China to pursue a singing career uh, where she used the name, her family name, uh, her birth name, that is, uh, Chloe Wang. And she released a single when she came back to the U.S. in 2011 called Uh-Oh, and we have the, uh, the Mandarin version of that here today, Chloe Bennett holly wang with uh-oh could be the mantra of agents of shield really couldn't it and always remember don't yield back shield g'day this is rob jan thanks for listening to the podcast of triple r's zero g a weekly radio show exploring science fiction fantasy and historical zero g is broadcast live on triple r from melbourne australia every monday Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.